All right. Again, I am thankful for this beautiful weather. We had awesome weather. Hi. Are you waving at me? Okay, just making sure. Couldn't tell. We had awesome weather last year, so um, excited to be able to do this again. Revelation chapter 19. Anybody else need any, any handout, guide, study guide, anything? No? Brother Mike? All right. Again, uh, thank you for the food. Haven't tried it yet, but it looked amazing. So thank you, Natasha. Did awesome with that. Wherever you are, very good. You're there. I saw you, but I was trying to talk to him because he was trying to get a thing. All right. Revelation chapter 19, Armageddon. How many are ready for the battle? Yes, I am. Very good. Well, you got to be saved to be ready for the battle. So are you saved? That's the question. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Very good. All right, before we get into that, I think I have it in your notes if you if you have notes and you want to follow along. You know, the greatest and most influential person in history is who? Jesus. Jesus Christ is the greatest and most influential p- person in all of history, the, the greatest one that has ever lived, ever will live. And when you do a quick survey of the Bible, you reveal, you see some things about his life revealed. And in your notes, it has a, a brief outline. And what you see is the incarnation what this is is in john chapter 1 verse 14 this is when the word became flesh Uh, we have his baptism this is when uh, jesus was baptized immersed by john anointed by the spirit declared by his father to be the messiah in matthew chapter 3 we then have his temptation this is when he was taken into the wilderness and tempted himself by satan had 40 days of suffering that he endured Uh, The next significant event, there's so many events, but the next that I have on my list is his crucifixion. On the cross, it's where he bore the the wrath of God and paid the full penalty of sin, providing salvation for all who would trust in him. And then after crucifixion, what's the next most important event? His resurrection. Yes, you should know that without looking. His resurrection, his bodily resurrection, this is where God declared his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice and victory over death and hell and Satan and sin. And then we have his ascension. We talked about that in our Acts series in Acts chapter 1 when he ascended up into heaven. And then the next most significant event on the timetable is his second coming. And that is what Christians are still waiting for. He hasn't come yet. You know, we're not... Uh, living through the tribulation, even though it's difficult times. Uh, We're not living through the millennial kingdom at this time. We're going to talk about that next week. Uh, His second coming is coming, and that's when he's going to come back as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because remember, the first time Jesus came, how did he come? Tough question. As a baby. Now, the second time he comes, he's not coming as a baby. He is coming as the King of Kings, as the Lord of Lords. And the second coming of Jesus Christ refers to the historical, the visible, the bodily return of the Son of God to this earth. This return will be great. It will be glorious, a return of power. Uh, there are many texts in the Old Testament that foretell and foreshadow his coming. Some of the passages help us understand some very important specifics about the nature of Christ's coming. Quickly, it, it's going to be personal. It's going to be historical. It's going to be visical, visible, physical, victorious, cosmic, and all of its benefits. And just a little compare and contrast, and I know I don't have this in your notes. If we had screens, this would have been on the screens. But the first time he came, he rode a donkey. The second time he comes, what's he going to be riding? He died on the cross. That's good, but that's not the answer I was looking for. It's like, oh, so close. First time Jesus came, he rode on a donkey into Jerusalem. Second time he comes, what's he going to be riding on? 
A white horse. Very good. Someone got it. First time he came, he came as the suffering servant. But the second time, he will come as the king and the Lord. First time he came in humility, in meekness. The next time he comes will be in majesty and in power. First time he came to suffer the wrath of God for sinners. But the second time he is coming to establish his kingdom for the saints. The first time he came, he was rejected by many as the Messiah. But the second time, he will finally be recognized as Lord of all. First time he came to seek and to save that which was lost. The second time, he is coming to judge and to rule as king. The first time he came, he came as God incognito, so to speak. The second time he comes, will come as God in all of his splendor. And in Revelation 19, we're going to be in verse 11 through 21 tonight. We've set the stage. Chapter 18, or chapter 17 and 18, the first part of 19, we've talked about uh, really the, the, the rise and the, the, the demise, the fall of Babylon the Great. That great system of the world has finally been destroyed and cast into the sea. And remember, as we study Revelation, it's not necessarily everything happens boom, 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 boom. Sometimes John is jumping around a little bit, so we have to take note of that. But we talked about the great judgment of the, the great whore uh, last week, and we talked about the marriage supper of the Lamb there in heaven. And now we get to the last part of chapter 19, the battle of Armageddon, which I kind of alluded to a little bit last week, which really is not much of a battle because finally everything will be defeated. Now there is another battle we'll mention in the weeks to come. But look at verse number 11. The Bible says, And I saw heaven open. I mean, just imagine this sight. Picture this. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. You know, there's a lot of things that we know about God, but there's still more that we're going to learn about God and about Jesus. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. That's hopefully us if we're saved. Uh, I know I'll be in that army. I hope and pray that you'll be there too. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with the rod of iron, and uh, he that treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We just sang that song tonight. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice. Remember, as we've gone through this book, we've seen so many different angels, messengers of God, declaring the message from God. So he's crying with a loud voice, saying to all fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. So what he's saying is, and we'll get to this in a minute, but there's going to be a great feast for all of the birds that are left. Verse number 18, that they may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and them that sit upon them. So it's the armies that are opposite, that are fighting Jesus and his army and the flesh of all men, those that are left, because remember most uh, good half of humanity that has been left after the, uh, the, um, after uh, the, not the resurrection, the um, uh, the rapture. After the rapture, uh, probably a, a well over half of humanity has probably been destroyed up to this time. Um, verse number nineteen. I saw a beast, 
And the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. So again, who is he referred to that is sitting on this horse? Who is he? Jesus, yes. So the kings of the earth, the, the beasts, they're, they're making war against Jesus. Now, again, I, I think knowing what I know about scriptures, knowing what I know uh, about God, about his word, about Jesus, all I can think of is how foolish. How foolish, how stupid could you be to make war against Jesus? But they think they have a chance. And the beast was taken, verse 20. And with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. We talked about that in previous chapters. And them that worshipped his image, everyone that followed the the beast, the, the dragon, the false prophet, these both, talking about um, the, the false prophet and the Antichrist, were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, with the sword that proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. All the flesh that is there, the fowls are just taking eat and having this great supper. Let's pray, and we'll dig into it tonight. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you so much for the opportunity we can come and worship you under uh, this beautiful atmosphere, the beautiful weather that you've given us tonight. And Lord, for the next few minutes as we study your word, God, that's, that's why we're here tonight. I pray that you'd help us to learn the important truths from this great book, this great study. And again, Lord, it's it's been a reminder to me the fact that, yes, it's very easy to be intimidated by this book, to be fearful. But as those of us that have endured this study up to this point, we've seen that there is so much hope for the Christian. It's not a book to fear. It's a book to to remember and be thankful for. And, and really, again, it's pushing me forward to understand that I have a gospel call and duty and commission that you have given me. And there are many people, millions upon millions of people that have rejected you and will reject you, and I need to do everything in my power as a Christian to tell them about you and to warn them of what is to come. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn these principles tonight from your word. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. First point, if you're taking notes tonight, is this. Jesus will return in glory and in power. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. It's right there on the screen if you can't see it. Jesus will return in glory and in power. Maybe it's this screen. I can't really remember. What I'm talking about is this triumphal entourage. This, I mean, you think about the triumphal entry that he had in Jerusalem. I mean, this is nothing compared. It's going to you know, it's gonna make Jerusalem look like a, a cakewalk, so to speak. I mean, just imagine this. Imagine all of those that have ever lived through history that are children of God, that are in heaven, that are coming back with him. The, the scores, the tens of thousands of millions of people that are coming. Just, just the picture, it, just, it, it blows my mind. It, it, it's more than I can even uh, imagine. And over the next six verses, what we are uh, met with, that we are swept with this, this triumphal entourage of redeemed saints in the heavenly procession with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ comes to make war on Satan, the Antichrist and the false prophet. And all the kings of the earth, he rides on a white horse and has on his head many crowns, as it says there in verse number 11. He becomes the absolute ruler of this earth. Revelation 19 through 22, the, the last couple chapters, are really the way the Bible is supposed to end. 
It's the way our hearts long for. One preacher said this, there are two appearings of Christ. One is called an appearing of grace. The other is called the appearing of glory. The Christ who will come in glory is the Christ who will also come in grace. What God or what God's grace has begun in our lives through the first coming of Christ, his glory will complete in our lives through the second coming. In verses 11 through 13, what we see is that his appearance will be glorious. Now, it's very important to understand, this is not the same writer that was mentioned back in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, who represented the spirit of conquest, the spirit of war, that embodied ultimately was that embodiment was ultimately in the beast in Revelation chapter 13. But this rider is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And the horse is very important. This horse symbolizes victory as well as possibly purity. And in verse number 11, we see several things. It says, the Bible says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. He is the conquering Christ. Now what we discover over the next couple of verses is that Jesus has several names. I think there are uh, five names mentioned, four that are actually revealed, and one that is still concealed. And again, what stands out to me is how much we know about Jesus because of his word, but there is so much more that we're going to learn in heaven. And that's the awesome thing. All that we get to learn about him in, in, in this earth, studying our Bible, going to church, Bible studies, and small groups, and all that kind of stuff, it, it doesn't even put a drop in the bucket of what we're going to learn about him in heaven. He is faithful and true. In verse 12, he is a consuming prince. Look, the Bible says his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written, again, that no man knew but himself. His eyes will be like fire. This symbolizes a piercing and penetrating power. His eyes search the innermost recesses of our hearts. He knows all and he sees all. He'll be wearing many crowns. He's not coming just to conquer one kingdom. He is coming to conquer all kingdoms. He'll have a name written that, again, only he himself knows. Again, our minds can't even fathom the power to comprehend how wonderful, how great our God truly is. Verse number 13, the Bible says that, uh, just lost my place, Revelation 19, verse 13. And the, he was clothed with his vesture, dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. His clothing was dipped in blood. Naturally, we'd assume this to be the blood of his enemies. But this very well may be true. But we also see in Revelation the importance of blood of the martyrs, the blood of the saints, and the blood of the redeeming lamb back in chapter 5. You know, perhaps it's God's intention to remind us that his enemies will be judged, that saints will be vindicated finally, and the redemption of the Lamb will be remembered for all eternity. You know, of this much I'm certain. Again, there's a lot of aspects of Revelation that I don't even know, and I'm not trying to go into so much detail that I'm trying to twist and turn scriptures to make them say something that I think they should say. I'm trying to give us a base understanding but there's so much more that I don't understand. But here, here's what I'm certain of. We should never forget that without the shedding of his blood, Jesus' blood, there is no remission of sins. There's no forgiveness of sins. The blood is important, is it not? It's vitally important. And that is for certain. And maybe that's a, a, a symbolic symbol of, of what he did on the cross. Verse number 14, what we see, again, if you're taking notes, is this. His army is holy, 
and his armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. Now, again, just, just the sight of this, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. When the king returns, he's not coming back alone. He came first time alone. But the second time, he's not coming back alone. This is where we come in. All Christians get to accompany Jesus Christ. He's our heavenly war leader. And really, you know, when you read between the lines, and, you know, I like to do this sometimes, what I see is my name. What I mean is the Bible says there that he's coming with all of his heavenly followers. I know I'm saved. I know I'm a child of God. So I see my name in there. The question is, do you? Do you see your name in there with Jesus, with his followers that are coming back uh, to to be on his side in this battle? Amazing thing. His, his army is going to include all the redeemed from the ages. His army will include a host of angels. We know this from Matthew chapter 25. And the important observation here is this. They all followed him. It's very important to understand. You see, when we return with Christ... Who will be out in front? Anybody? Jesus. When we return with Christ, I know I, people say this all the time, and I probably even said it before, like, I, I want to be right next to him. Well, we're not going to be right next to him. We're going to be behind him because he is our leader. We'll be following him, following behind him. And when we return, he is in front. He's in the lead. Honestly, here, here's the truth of it. We are merely spectators. Like, oh, man, I was looking forward to the battle and and fighting people. But there's nothing that we can do. (laughs) We can't defeat enemies on our own, in our own strength. But that's how awesome, that's how powerful Jesus is, that we get to witness firsthand his power, his glory, his awesomeness. And again, hopefully I'm towards the front, but I'm probably towards the back. But it's going to be awesome seeing everything that's going to happen. And the, and, the, and the reality here, and I'm not trying to you know, dampen anything for us, but Jesus Christ does not need our assistance. He fights the battle for us. And by fighting the battle for us, you know what this proves? Yet again, his sovereignty. The fact that he is in control of everything. Again, we are mere spectators in this. We are following him. You know, I'm sure there's going to be some probably like, hey, can I help you, Jesus? <laughs> I'll hold your sword. But he doesn't need our help. That's the most important thing because he's got it. Verse 15 and 16, we see that his authority is unparalleled. Unparalleled. If you don't know how to spell, you have a phone, ask Google. It'll help you. His authority is unparalleled. We are met with three images, a sword, a staff, and a wine press. All three depict the unparalleled authority of the returning king. A sharp sword came out of his mouth. It talks about this in verse 15 and 16. This symbolizes that he will strike the nations through the power of his word. Remember, we, we know this from John chapter 1. Jesus Christ is the word, right? The Bible says he, was, he became word and the word became flesh. How did the world begin? Not based on what culture says, but based on what Christ says in his word, how did the world begin? Anybody? Anybody know it all? Genesis 1. How did the world begin? Anybody? Does anybody know? Thank you. He spoke it into existence. Again, 
that's the ultimate like voice recognition out of everything. Top Siri, tops Google. I'm not talking to you. Talk Siri, tops Google, tops Alexa. He spoke and the world just happened. It created. People are like, oh, that didn't happen. Well, I believe God's word. I believe it. it is true. It is authentic. And again, the world was, wasn't created in a lab. Well, not, not by a big bang, but by a few words. Let there be light. And what happened? There was light. So God spoke the world into existence. So do you think the same God that spoke the world into existence can also speak the world into oblivion? Yes, he can. So that's what he's coming. And he's, he's going to also, he's going to shepherd them with an iron scepter. We know this from Psalm chapter 2. And the wine press, he's going to trample them like a wine press. How can he do all this? Because of the name written on his robe. What name is written on his robe according to verse 16? Somebody tell me. Verse 16. What? Couldn't, couldn't quite hear you. Thank you. The one person that can read. King of kings and Lord of lords. Again, look at that. Picture that. Jesus Christ has no equal. He has no competition. He possesses full and divine authority and absolute power over all things. And again, the, the amazing sight, the amazing picture that is there. But then we move on. And what we see is that this, Jesus will then judge all who reject him. He will judge all who reject him. Look at verse number 17. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all, fowls that fly in the midst of the heaven. All I can think about this is like, you know, that old Alfred Hitchcock film, The Birds. Anybody ever seen that or know what I'm talking about? Escape artist, cool. The birds. You know what I'm talking about? Where all the birds are just like swarming around? Yeah. At Walmart. You saw Alfred Hitchcock at Walmart? Sweet. That's awesome. You saw a bunch of birds. But I mean you you know you know the picture. So again, imagine the millions of people that still are left on this earth. So all of the birds that need to come from the heavens to swoop up and have this great feast. Again, just imagine that picture, if you will. Now, all of the warriors of earth have assembled to fight against the Lord and against his anointed, but their battle is futile. And this is a terrifying moment because the angel is calling out birds all over the air to gather together for this great supper of the Lord. And these birds are about to have the feast of their lives. And really, when you think about this, there is no fight, is there? No. I know you guys are just enjoying the weather, but there is no fight. This is an outright slaughter. And notice who it's talking about. Verse number 18. That ye may eat the flesh of, what? Kings. And the flesh of captains. And the flesh of mighty men. And the flesh of horses. And them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. So all mankind that has rejected Jesus as their Savior, that are still alive, that haven't been destroyed with the seal judgments or the trumpet judgments or uh, the vile judgments, that's who he's talking about. Kings, horses, captains, anyone and everyone that is someone or thinks they're someone— Anyone who is a nobody, 
that has rejected Jesus will be there because he will judge all who reject him. And we'll talk more about this in the coming weeks as well with that significance. But what we see finally in the last couple of verses is this, that King Jesus will defeat his enemies who oppose him. King Jesus will defeat his enemies who oppose him. Look at verse number 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. I mean, they're, they're revved up. They're, they're, they're amped up for this. But the beast was taken. <laughs> and with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him. So again, this is talking about Antichrist that is ruling over everyone, his false prophet that is with him. They're taken. They're taken alive. So all these followers of the beast, the Antichrist, the false prophet, are seeing their two glorious people that they've been serving all of a sudden captured, taken alive. And the beast again, verse number 20, was taking him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshiped the image, these both were cast alive into the lake fire, of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant, all the rest, were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So again, what we see is that Jesus will defeat the enemies who oppose him. Verse 19 and 20, it tells us that he will capture his enemies. He isn't coming to bring judgment against the innocent. He's coming to judge the wicked who are gathered to wage war against him. Remember, there have been countless times where people have opportunities to still receive Christ, right? We've talked about that through Revelation. People, the two witnesses and the 144,000 are have, have spread the gospel throughout the whole world. People have opportunities. And even with the witnessing of the seal and the trumpet and the vile judgments, they have seen heaven poured down on earth. They've had opportunities, and yet still we saw that mankind refused him, rejected him. And finally, Jesus is basically saying enough is enough. Chuck Swindoll says, Let, let's cut to the chase. Before anybody on earth can utter the word Armageddon, the battle will be over. When God determines the end has come, it's curtains. Verse 20 says again that the beast, the Antichrist, the false prophet are taken alive and thrown into hell. This punishment is unending. Verse 21, we see that Jesus will slay his enemies. Those who stand against Jesus will face the temporal, their temporal judgment on this earth. But they'll go straight into the eternal judgment. That's waiting for them in Revelation 20, verse 13 through 15, which we'll get there in a couple weeks. David Platt sums up this scripture that we've read in this passage this way. He says this, What a powerful picture of Christ on a white horse, faithful and true, the righteous judge and messianic warrior who sees all, knows all, judges all, crowned with diadems and shrouded in mystery. He comes to conquer God's enemies once and for all to end the history of the world with the revelation of God's word, to rule the nations as he brings the wrath of God upon the world dominated by sin and Satan. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And the key truth that we close with tonight is this. When Jesus returns, he will come in power and glory as he executes justice on all who reject and oppose him.
What a sight. Again, it's not much of a battle. We talk about the Battle of Armageddon. There's movies about that, but it's not much of a battle. It's a downright slaughter because Jesus Christ is coming to rule, to reign supremely. And what we see next, as we'll get into next week, is that the millennial kingdom, the millennial reign of Christ happens after this. It takes place when Satan is then bound for a thousand years. And again, we'll talk more about that. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but many wonder, why isn't he just destroyed once and for all? But the, the thing that we must realize, there is another battle coming at the end of the millennium. It's the battle of Gog and Magog. And you think, well, why would there be another battle? Because everyone that enters into the millennial kingdom is saved. Yes, they are. But there will still be people that were alive on the earth at the end, and they entered into the millennial kingdom that were part of Jesus, part of his uh, children. I'm talking about those that got saved through the tribulation. If they have children, their children will have an opportunity to make a decision whether to accept Jesus as their Savior or to reject him. And you think, and again, I'll, I'll talk much more about this next week. You think about it. I've thought about it so many times. How could people still reject him? But the first time he came, they still rejected him. And again, what he's showing us and what he's proving is that, that mankind in their their nature, that, that sin nature, they still choose to reject the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, even though he's ruling over them and, and just and supreme. Again, not so much more next week, so come back.